You're listening to Confessions of a Grieving Mother by Emma's Footprints. Each week, we will be bringing you stories to give you a real look on what families go through after they experience a pregnancy or infant loss. Our goal is to help educate, support, and break the stigma around this topic. Be prepared for tears and laughter as we remember our babies. This is going to be real, raw, and vulnerable, so get your boots on. It's going to be messy. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Grieving Mother. I am Tracy, Emma's mom. And I am Julie, Gus's mom. And on the phone, we have Terry. Hi, Terry. Hi. Whose mama are you? Um, I am Baby Sinnott's mom. Baby Sinnott's mama. So Terry and I know each other. But Julie, you don't know Terry. No. How do you guys know each other? From the lost community think, or? Yeah, but how did we meet? Um, I think we met for the first time at Grace. And I think then um, I met you again um, at the support group. That's true. Were you friends with Jen Hull? No. No. <laughs> I love the confidence behind that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's a no, Tracy. Think again. Okay, check that. Okay, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that so was Terry, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, Terry, are you from the um Erie area? I am from the Erie area. Born and raised. And are you married? I am married. My husband's name is Jay. Jay. And when did you guys um get married? We got married in twenty thirteen. And how did you meet one another? Um it's kind of a weird story. Um, we, our families were always kind of intertwined, but we never met. So I actually graduated high school with his brother. Um, but he was Jay older than you. He is by two years. Um, and he grew up in Florida and when his parents separated, he stayed in Florida and his dad and his brothers moved back to Erie. And, um, my really good friend was is married to his brother and she had posted something on Facebook about like, what did people want for Christmas? And I said, I wanted to meet a nice guy because I had just broke up with a guy who was kind of a jerk and I was really just kind of making a joke. Well, his family saw it and his aunt started commenting, well, I have one nephew left and everybody was like, oh yes, we should hook them up. And he saw it and made a joke. Well, I'll just pick you up. We'll go to Vegas and make it official. Oh my and, gosh. How funny. Um, so he and I eventually like started, you know, Facebook Messenger and then texting. And they wanted to set us up on a blind date because he lived out of town. At this point, though, Scranton, not Florida. And um, I, I don't know, got really confident one night and was like, why don't we go out on a blind date first? So we don't have all these people like staring at us, trying to see if we like each other or not. I figured he probably wasn't an ax murderer because I knew his whole family. And um, (laughs) we went out on a date and um, we've been together ever since that night. That's Uh, that's a great story. It is. Did did you know that night that you were going to get married? Um, I don't know if I knew we were going to get married, but I definitely knew there was something different about him. And I felt like there was something special that I knew I definitely wanted to pursue, even though he lived out of town. But did you guys ever go to Vegas? Yeah. 
We've never gone to Vegas. No. We should probably put it on our bucket list. Yes. You could have like a That's second funny. marriage out there. That's right. You could like renew your vows <laughs> to complete the circle. <laughs> so what, what did um, the conversation look like about um, growing your family? Um, ironically, neither of us were sure when we got married, if we wanted kids or not. And then, and then as soon as we got married, we were both kind of like, yeah, we think we want a kid. I wanted to wait a couple years. He's like, we should start immediately. Um, so our first daughter was actually born, um, about a month and a half after our first wedding anniversary. (laughs) So you got pregnant quickly. (laughs) And how was that pregnancy? Was it, uh, smooth or did you have some hiccups? Um, she actually had a two vessel cord, which I had never heard of before. And, um, so I had to be monitored very closely for her growth. Um, I had blood pressure issues and they ended up inducing me at 37 weeks because they were afraid I was going to develop preeclampsia oh, wow. and, um, had a pretty traumatic delivery. Um, but she was fine. Um, she was only in the NICU for a day um, because she was a little jaundice. But otherwise, she was perfectly healthy. Can I ask what made that birth traumatic for you? Um, well, to start with, my body wasn't really ready to go into labor. Mm, yeah. So um, they were giving me everything to try and stimulate labor And so I was contracting, but nothing was happening. Like nothing was progressing. So I was having like horrific contractions Mm -hmm. and I was having back labor, but I wasn't progressing. So they had told me when I came in, most inductions are less than 24 hours. At 24 hours, I was only three centimeters dilated. Oh my God. And um, I had been in like horrific pain. Um, They eventually um, were able to give me an epidural. Um, but he couldn't get it in. So he kept um, hitting my, like the bone in my back. Oh gosh. Um, It took him 45 minutes to get the upper epidural in. And then it didn't. Oh my gosh. That didn't take. take. It didn't take. So I had to wait another hour and a half before another um, anesthesiologist could come down and see if he could play with it and get it to work. Um, So it eventually did work. Um, And then when I was ready to push. They told me, my nurse was like, well, you're not fully dilated. I'm like, I need to push. I can feel it. She's like, you're not. Well, then the doctor came back in and said, the way her head is, you're not going to dilate in that spot. You're going to have to push through it. Oh my so gosh. I, oh my gosh, I pushed for two and a half hours and they were so busy and short staffed that the doctor finally came back in and was like, you haven't progressed at all. And she's like, she's stuck. So um, apparently there was this big conversation about whether we would do a C-section or if we were going to do the vacuum. Um, My husband remembers it all. I don't um, because at this point I'd already been in labor for like almost two full days and we did end up using the vacuum and um, I had some pretty substantial tearing and I actually um, started hemorrhaging and went into shock. And, um, remember nothing from hearing she's out to 
coming to when my husband was like holding her and she was already cleaned up, had on like blankets, everything. And so I have no idea how much time I lost, but I don't have like, I mean, I guess they put her on me, but I was already like unconscious. So I had no idea. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. So she was going to be an only child after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's enough. I mean, there's so many pieces to that. That is scary. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you were obviously robbed of a really great birth experience. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm done. That's it. We're good. One kid. Um, and uh, God often has other plans. <laughs> so um, I told my husband we would consider talking about another child after I finished my master's degree. And um my second daughter was born um, two weeks after I finished my master's degree. So um, she I, his, I, his is always great. Yeah. <laughs> it was my surprise baby because I was not really at a place where I thought I was ready for another baby. Um, but we did a planned C-section with her and my pregnancy with her was much easier. Um, I always get sick pretty much the whole pregnancy. But um, mm-hmm. other than that, like my delivery was much better. It was much easier. The C-section went actually beautifully and compared to what I had experienced the first time. Right. Um, I didn't get to see her right away because they just, they didn't do that then. They just kind of held her up across the room and then took her out. Yeah. Um, so um, we had Emmy and then um, I how had... Many- how many years in between the two? They're 22 months. Okay. So they're, they're pretty close together. Yeah. Um, I had postpartum depression with both of them, but it was significantly worse with my second. Um, so at that point, my husband and I decided that we weren't going to have any more kids. Um, he actually got a vasectomy and we determined we were we were done because he didn't want to put me through that again. Can you talk a little bit about postpartum depression? Yeah, I think and what be that great. when you say that what that looked like for you. Um, so ironically, like I am a psychology teacher, and I put I always teach about postpartum depression um, and anxiety because there is so many misconceptions about what that looks mm-hmm. like. Um, yeah. I've actually had people say to me like, oh my gosh, you wanted to hurt your baby. And I'm like, no, I never wanted to hurt my babies. I never had any inclination to want to hurt them. But I did um, with my first, my big struggle was I just felt like nothing I did was right. I felt like I was constantly worried that she was going to stop breathing or that you know, she was go- I was going to fall when I was holding her. And it was like the worry overtook me and I just couldn't keep up with everything that I would normally keep up with trying to heal after the delivery. And so I just felt like inadequate. Like I felt like I was just not a good mom and I was not adjusting to motherhood and I was really sad. And my husband actually was like, you're not yourself. And I think you need to talk to your doctor because your personality is different. He's like, this is not you. And it was because of him that I talked to my doctor and I actually got better very quickly with my first. 
but with my second, I didn't. Um, and with her, it came on faster and much stronger. And mm. with that, I actually had like suicidal feelings and thoughts. Mm. And um, I just really struggled. Um, for me, I would get like really, really angry. And I was able to control the anger towards the kids, but I would often, you know, like take it out on my husband or, you know, like at one point, like I was so upset about something, like I hit the wall so hard I bruised my arm, you know, just because I had like no outlet for that, that anger that I don't normally experience. It was very different for me. I'm not an angry person. Um, Did you know when that, when that you said came on sooner after the second time, did you kind of know? Hey, these are some signs of postpartum again, or did Jay have to kind of bring that up? You know, I had a feeling like something was wrong because I felt like I woke up and just like it fallen off a cliff. Like I went to bed one night feeling good and I woke up the next morning and I didn't. Um, but again, Jay was the one who was like that driving force. Like you need to call your doctor today. You are not waiting for your appointment. Um, he, you know, made it possible for me to go to counseling. Um, He took a couple weeks off of work to be at home with me um, in the beginning. And I think for me, what prolonged it was not only was I having, you know, I have two children, um, but I had just started a new position where in the district and it was something I'd never taught before. Um, I had been displaced So I was starting the school year teaching a grade I've never taught, a subject I've never taught, in a school I'd never taught in, and I was three weeks into the school year. Wow. So all of those stressors, I think, just compacted, and I just took so much longer to feel like me again. Um, I would say it was probably a good eight months before I, you know, really was like, hey, I'm I'm me again. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. who I normally am. I think that's so important to hear. So you, did you do counseling after the, after your first? I didn't. I okay. just, um, I got medication and, um, I had 12 weeks off with her. And so I just, by the time I went back to work, I felt pretty good. Yeah. But after Emmy, you decided, did you and your doctor decide counseling together? They, um, I really didn't have a lot of support from my doctor the second time around. So the first time I delivered, I delivered in Scranton. We lived in Scranton then. And my OB was amazing. Um, She, you know, gave me hugs and would call me and ask me how I was doing and check up on me. And um, the OB office I went to with my, with Emmy, um, they just had a nurse call me back and say, they're going to call you in the same prescription you took before. Here's the names of a couple counselors. Um, you'll need to follow up with your general practitioner. And that was that. You're like, alrighty then. <laughs> so vague. <laughs> but you, but you did that. I did. I did. Yeah. How did you, did you, how did you pick a counselor? Um, I just called the first name they gave me and okay. She had an opening. And it worked. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes you go and the vibe is off and you got to find another one. And that can be a hurdle for some people who are trying to get help, but then also have, you know, roadblocks put up in front of them kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
how um, after Emmy, how long after did your husband get that vasectomy? Um, pretty quick. <laughs> um, it was only, uh, I want to say probably like four or five months after she was born. And, um, about the point where she was about a year old, um, I, and I felt like myself again, I started to feel like maybe I want more kids. Oh, and, no. <laughs> yeah. And all I kept thinking was, how do I tell my husband this when he had the vasectomy? For me, like his point was he wanted to protect me from having to go through that again. And here I am thinking God's telling me I'm supposed to have another baby. Um, Did you bring that up? Is there a card for that? (laughs) Well, you know what? I think he actually was the first one to say something because he felt like God was telling him that there was another child for us. Um, he had a dream you're one like, night. That, so funny you're saying that to me because yeah. I have the same message. <laughs> he he said he had this dream that like he God was showing him the generations of people who didn't exist because of the vasectomy. And it like shook wow. him. Wow. And um, he was like afraid to tell me. I have no idea how long the two of us both had these feelings before. Just sitting next to each other, both thinking the same thing. <laughs> We said something. Um, and so we decided, you know, he was going to have a reversal, which um, wow. for it to be effective and have really good odds of it being effective, you need to do microsurgery. And so we actually had to travel about four and a half hours away to find a surgeon who does that in Ohio. And um, it's quite expensive. But we were like, you know what? We're going to go through with this. And then we're just going to leave everything up to God. We're not going to question it. We're just going to leave it up to God. And so he had that vasectomy um, in 2017 in August. And um, October 1st, I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. Wow. My goodness. That did not take long. Wow. No. Um, And they actually told him we we had gone down for the fertility test for him and they lost his results. Of course. And they called us the day after I took the test and said, your numbers are really low. Uh, Likelihood of fertility is low and you're going to need to continue to um, take like, I think it was, he had to take like a leave to help with swelling. And um, he's like, well, she's pregnant. So I guess it worked. Um, Put that in the chart. (laughs) um and I think like I just felt like oh my gosh this is this is it and with my first two pregnancies I was so nervous about miscarriage so nervous didn't tell anybody till that 12 week mark you know like I, I read everything and then with my third pregnancy I wasn't scared at all because I was like well we were both prompted we both felt God telling us we needed to have another baby um and I got pregnant right away. And so it never occurred to me that it could happen with that pregnancy. Wow. Interesting. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll dive into more of Terry's story. Emma's Footprints has paid over $160,000 in admission expenses in 2022. Being able to take away the financial stress during a very difficult time for a family is only part of what we do. 
If our mission tugs at your heart, we encourage you to make a donation that will allow us to continue to serve families that have experienced a pregnancy or infant loss. Head to our website at www.emmasfootprints.com and look for the Donate tab at the top of the page. As always, thank you for your support and for allowing Emma's to say yes to families grieving pregnancy and infant loss. Okay, we're back. So, Terry, you... I mean, the odds of the reversal... What are the odds of a a vasectomy reversal working? Um, Did they talk about that? I don't know. I just know that the sooner you do it and um, the younger you are, and um, if you do the microsurgery, it's more likely to be effective. But there's still always the chance that it won't be... Um, scar tissue can come back at any time. Um, so, I mean, you could be fertile for three months and then never again, or wow. never develop scar tissue. Every single person's different. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I don't, we haven't had that kind of story on our podcast before. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I've cool. known anybody that's ever done that. So yeah, things they can do. How, so, um, where were you when you found out you were pregnant? Like, did you go get a test and you were at work or at home? What did that look like? Um, so I have weird pregnancy symptoms. Um, for me, everything tastes spicy when I'm pregnant. And um, when I drink cold water, um, I get like ice cold right away. Like that, but only in the, like the first trimester. So that happened to me and I was starting to wonder if maybe I was. And so, um, I bought a pregnancy test and, um, I took it in the middle of the day and it was positive and it was actually the only pregnancy test up until that point I had gotten a positive when my husband was actually in the house with me. Um, so like I went and got him out of the kitchen and he came in I showed him the test and we were both shocked and really excited. And we're like, all right, here comes, you know, baby number three. Yeah. The baby you both have dreamed about. Mm-hmm. Uh, remind me when this was again, 2022? 17. 2017. Oh, this was 2017? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, sorry, Julie, she took a nap. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I think that's all, I'll talk about it later. Um, okay. So um, when did you see things like start to take a turn? Um, well, at first I noticed I wasn't as sick as I normally was. Um, usually like not too long after conception, I start getting sick and I don't stop until delivery. Um, and I was nauseous, but I wasn't actually getting sick. So everybody was telling me that, cause I didn't keep this one a secret. Oh my gosh, I bet you it's a boy because you're not as sick and you were so sick with the girls. And so then I just started telling myself, well, maybe it's a boy. And, um, we were both super excited for our first, um, sonogram appointment and, you know, I've had a lot of them. <laughs> so, you know, we, we go in and she's, you know, looking all around and I feel like it was a really long time. 
And then she starts like telling me things like, oh, do you know, like we can tell which ovary your egg released from here, look. And she's like showing me things and telling me things. And I'm thinking, why isn't she showing me the baby? Huh? <laughs> like something's off here. Yeah. And then she left and I looked at my husband and I was like, something's not right. Hmm. And she came back and she's like, well, you know, one of two things is going on. Um, you're measuring behind based on your dates. So you're either, you ovulated late. And so you're two weeks earlier than you think, Mm -hmm. or there's something wrong because she's like, you know, there's the, you know, she was showing me like the yolk sac and she's like, but the fetal pole is not there yet. And it should be. So she said, you know, what we're going to do is in two weeks, we'll do another one and we'll be able to tell by then. And, you know, she's like, there's lots of reasons that this happens, but you know, everything could still be fine, but we're just going to check you in two more weeks. Right. So we left. How did you and, feel? Yeah. Leaving that appointment. Um, really nervous and upset. And of course I got the Google machine out and started like looking <laughs> things up. And then I started finding all these stories about people who had identical twins and the, that had happened to them where the egg was actually dividing at the time. And so that's why they didn't see the fetal pole until later. So I'm like, maybe it's twins, maybe. And I was trying to give myself all this like reassurance that maybe everything's still going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we both felt like we were listening to God. So I couldn't wrap my head around things not being okay. Um, And that was two days before my daughter's birthday party. So my oldest daughter's birthday party. So, you know, that weekend we had, you know, people over and I tried just not to think about it as much as I could and just focus on having her party. Um, And then on Monday morning, I woke up and um, there was a little bit of spotting. And so I called the doctor and they told me like, you know, don't, don't really worry about that. That can happen. You're still really early. Um, But if it gets heavier, let us know. So the next day, um, I noticed even more spotting and they said, okay, you know, we'll have you come in and we'll just check you out. So we, I went to um, the women's hospital and they did another sonogram and it was exactly the same as it was before. And um, they checked my cervix. So like your cervix is closed. You're not actively miscarrying. Um, we're still going to follow the same plan. And the nurse, you know, said to me, she's like, well, just, just, so you know, like if you do miscarry, you know, just expect it to be like a bad period. Um, and so that was the only real like knowledge I had about what to kind of expect. Um, and that's not (laughs) what happened to me at all. Um, I actually, I went to work the next day and I have to say, like, I had, the best assistant principal at the time, because I told her what was going on and she gave me a hug and she's like, anything that you need, you just let me know. Like you need a break, anything. And that afternoon I started cramping and I was about third block and I was um, actually a special ed teacher at the time and I was co-teaching and I told my co-teacher, I'm like, I'm not feeling well. 
I need to go home. And I, in typical teacher fashion, um, I went to my classroom and I wrote out my sub plans for the next day because in my mind, I'm going to have a really bad period. So mm. that's all that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I told my principal what was going on. She told me I could just leave. Um, and I drove myself home, which was the first thing I shouldn't have done because um, I actually started going into active labor while driving and having horrible contractions. And I live about 20 minutes from work. So by the time I got home, I was in a lot of pain and um, the bleeding was getting a little bit heavier. So I, I changed my clothes and um, I had called my husband and I, I crawled into bed and I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to lay here and wait this out. And um, my husband was like, I think you should call the doctor. So I called the doctor's office and they're like, you know what? We want you to just come in just to be safe. And I'm like, okay. And so my husband came home to get me um, from, he came home from work. Um, I don't live that terribly far from Hammett, um, but from, I live like Mercyhurst area. So if you think that that's like like a couple miles, maybe Um, from the point that I left my house, until I got to Hammett, um, I had started hemorrhaging and I had completely bled through all of my clothes, my pad, and I was running down my legs. And so like when I got into the hospital, you know, the poor lady behind the counter was just kind of like, Oh, name, have a seat. And I looked at her and I said, I can't sit down. And she like looked at me and her eyes probably bugged out of her head. And she was like, just go, just go through the doors. And, um, I remember walking through the doors and I remember nurses like coming at me and, you know, walking me back and everything like from there, like started to seem kind of like a blur. Like they're helping me take my clothes off. There's people rushing in to put IVs in me. And I'm just saying, they're like, what's going on right now? (laughs) Like what is going on? It almost sounds like a scene from like a medical show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Grey's Anatomy or something. Yes. Yeah. Well, and in the midst of this, my poor husband had to leave because he had to go get our girls from daycare because daycare was oh, going to close. No. And so he had somebody to meet him at the house to watch them, but they couldn't pick them up because they were both car seats. Oh, so no. he had to leave me in that state and rush to go get our girls. Um, my God. And the thing that the, stood out to me was that one of the nurses said to me, you should have come here sooner. What were you doing? You don't understand how fast you could have bled out. Your daughters could have found you dead on the bathroom floor. (gasps) Okay, (laughs) ma'am. And that (laughs) was a little traumatizing on top of everything that was going on. Because that buzzer, Julie. Eh, I know. (laughs) I mean, I, I had been told this was going to be a bad period. Um, but the doctor who was on call that day happened to be one of the Pittsburgh doctors. And I guess he comes up once a month and he was the nicest person. I mean, he checked me and he's like, you are, you know, actively miscarrying. Um, and he like sat down and held my hand and he goes, I need you to hear me. You didn't do this. You didn't cause this. There's nothing you could have done to prevent this. You cannot go through this thinking that this is in any way your fault. 
Hmm. He's like, this was not your fault. And that was nice to hear because, you know, I had just kind of been (laughs) a little traumatized. Um, And then they were like, we're going to have to take you in immediately for a a DNC. You know, like we've got to stop the bleeding. Um, And so they took me up to pre-op and um, I was very thankful that it just so happened. It was a very quiet day on the floor. So I was almost by myself up there. Um, and a friend of mine happened to be on call on labor and delivery. So she came down and checked on me and my husband got back in time just to give me a kiss and take my wedding rings before they wheeled me off into surgery. Wow. Wow. I'm like, I've never heard of such a story. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's not uncommon. Right. I think the frustrating part is like the communication behind this could be a heavy period. Like that might be what happens for some people or this, you know, that's, but it also might not be like that. Like maybe Mm -hmm. just saying a couple more sentences after that of what it also could look like. Yeah, some and, options of, of and what like could some happen. signs to look for and stuff. Obviously, you would have gotten to the hospital sooner if you would have known. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on, that sounds like a. But I feel like yeah. you got to the hospital really quickly, like you know, from going home to. She did. You know. Yeah, she. Yeah, I'm thinking like, if more signs were like, if you receive start to have super heavy cramping, like you need to get here to the point of like being bent over or something, right? Like. Yeah. Because I probably say that to you. It's like you only did the best you knew what to do or knew to do. Because I probably should have left work and went directly to the hospital. But I didn't know that at the time. Like that right. that was even remotely, you know, a possibility. That a it was concern clear. even too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like women go to the ED for that stuff and they're like, well, there's nothing we can do. You have to kind of go mm-hmm. home and unfortunately have your heavy period. Suffer this. Yeah. Like. There's really yeah. nothing we can do. So, wow. Mm-hmm. So that was in what month of 2017? So that was November of okay. 2017. Um, so I was nine and a half weeks pregnant at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, the, you know, the doctor had told me that, you know, I if I wanted to have another, I still wanted to have a baby, that I needed to wait one cycle before getting pregnant again. And I kind of thought, well, I highly doubt I'm just going to get pregnant again that fast. And so I waited my one cycle. And then in January, I was pregnant again. Um, And I think like a lot of times they don't talk about how difficult it is to be pregnant right after having a loss. Um, That was, I was so excited, but yet I was so nervous and scared because I had just gone through losing a baby. I was still devastated about that baby. Um, and you know, like, I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. So like for me, I could never name the baby because nothing felt right. Um, and that just kind of like sat weird with me. Um, and then I actually had, spotting 
um, several times with my fourth pregnancy with my Adeline. And um, I never had bleeding with my two other pregnancies that were successful. So every time there was any bleeding, I immediately went into that panic. panic, I'm losing this baby too. Um, And I did go. And when I had my first ultrasound with Adeline, um, everything looked great. Everything was measuring normal. And um, it was the very next day that I started bleeding. And so I went back into the hospital and it was the same tech. And she's like, I just saw you. You're fine. And I said, I'm bleeding. And she's like, oh, okay. So she texts chest down. She checked me and everything still looked normal. Um, and we ended up figuring out a couple weeks later that um, I actually had um, placenta previa. So oh, that's wow. why I kept having spotting. Um, so then I went from worrying about, you know, a miscarriage to worrying about everything that goes along with placenta previa. Yeah. Um, and my placenta did move, but then it was um, an in- anterior placenta. Um, so then there's risks That's in front of your stomach, right? Yes. Yeah. You can't really feel the baby. No, you can't like, I could feel her, but not like I had felt her sisters. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was so much anxiety that entire pregnancy over. I haven't felt her in a while or she's not as active. She's not moving as much. Um, I was constantly worried. And then there was also this like strange guilt. Like every time I was excited about her, I felt like I was betraying the baby that I lost because I wasn't being sad enough. But then when I was really sad about that baby, I felt like I was not being fair to my daughter who's, you know, growing and I'm supposed to be happy about her and she deserved me to be happy and excited. And it was this constant back and forth feeling of not like, no matter how I felt, I felt like I was feeling the wrong way because I felt like there was never a way to have them both. I could have only ever had one of them. So there's that like weird guilt of feeling like I'm picking one over the other and they're both my children. That's super honest. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, a lot of women that are in that position can relate to that. Um, I think, I think even to present day, lost parents can relate to it. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking to um, somebody that was in our office not, not that long ago. And it's like, when you have living children, then you feel guilty because you're not paying attention to the baby that you lost just because life is happening. And then same, like you just said, you start to pay attention to the baby you have lost and then you're not present in the moment with your living children. It's this like battle. That's exhausting. And my, you know, for my kids, they were so little that my oldest finally was starting to understand that I was pregnant. And by the time she got it, I had lost the baby. So she started telling people that I was pregnant after I had lost the baby. And then I was pregnant again and she was confused. And, um, but all of my kids will talk about the baby that I lost. And, you know, we'll talk about, yeah, you have a sibling in heaven. And um, my youngest, who is quite the spitfire, um, 
she loves telling everybody she's my rainbow baby and that she has her blankie with rainbows on it. And, you know, she'll, you know, broadcast that. Well, I'm the rainbow baby. I'm, you know, I'm special. I have, and she'll say, you know, she'll ask me questions, you know, like, so the baby, the baby went to heaven. And I'm like, yeah, the baby went to heaven. I love when kids are curious. I mean, those can be hard conversations to navigate and you never really know what you're saying is helpful or correct, but I think it's just really important that they, they talk about it. Hmm. Well, one of my kids asked me the other day, they're like, when we go to heaven, will we get to meet our, our our baby brother or sister? And I said, yeah, like that's, you know, the vision that I have, like I always picture my, my grandmother, who I was really close with, um, and she had passed away. Like, I always picture her just, like, up there rocking her great-grandbaby. And just that's where they'll be till we get there one day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? how was the delivery then? With- um, Adel- Addie's delivery was pretty – well, it seemed pretty normal. Um, I had my C-section, and um, at that point, they actually, like – brought her over to me. Um, that day they had started, um, doing kangaroo care in the, in the room. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. So I'm like, I don't know if I want you to put her right on my chest, but they're like, but we can bring her over to you. So they actually like brought her over and put us cheek to cheek so I could see her and we could touch and they were there for several minutes before then she and my husband went off. And then I was able to hold her as soon as I got into recovery. And that was really different too. Cause it was the first time I actually felt my baby right away. Yeah. Right. Um, which was really cool. But the, my C-section had been moved three times and I had expected to deliver a couple days later. Um, and they moved it up. And then they moved it up again earlier in the morning. And um, my doctor ended up telling me the day after when he came in to check on me, he said, um, had we delivered any later than we did, we may have had a different outcome because the cord was wrapped around her neck twice. And he's like, you had an extra long umbilical cord and she was, her air was never restricted. Wow. Which to me was a complete miracle because I mean, what are the odds that I had an extra long umbilical cord and my appointment kept getting moved up and moved up. Um, And she was actually born on the day that I, one year later that I had found out I was pregnant with the one I lost. Wow. October uh, 2017, I found out I was pregnant with the baby I lost. And then on October 1st, 2018, she was born. Wow. She is super special. Yeah. Yeah. She does get to own. She knows own it. Own that rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> How was, um, did you experience postpartum depression after her? I didn't. Um, and I credit that to um, my doctor. I switched doctors after my, um, I had Amelia and oh. um, I, follow the doctor who had actually done my C-section to the UPMC women's hospital. And he sat with me and we planned in advance. We looked at 
the newer research and the things that were helping. And we had a very detailed plan in place of what we were going to do to try and lessen it because statistically I should have had it again. Um, but we started a low dose um, antidepressant in the third trimester, one that doesn't have any known side effects at all to babies. Um, and then once I delivered, we doubled it. And um, I never experienced any postpartum with her. Um, I actually felt better going home with two toddlers and a newborn than I did with my other two pregnancies. Wow. That's really great. I mean, that's yeah. a good end to the mm -hmm. postpartum story, you know? But, I mean, that, that requires mm -hmm. knowing yourself. That requires teamwork, you know, open communication, willingness to, right? You know, mm -hmm. Not... I, I feel like even postpartum depression is something that's not talked about enough or acknowledged. Mm -hmm. And so just, you didn't like will yourself through that. Like, no, I mean, it was hey, definitely, I might need help. A lot of um, planning. And I'd also done research into a lot of things that they find women are um, like nutrients deficient in when they have postpartum depression. So I also made sure that, I was taking those supplements and that I was forcing myself to eat. So that was something I didn't do well with, with the other two so that I was eating and I was getting nutrients and I was, you know, getting some physical activity and, you know, trying to sleep instead of being obsessed with the house needs to be cleaned. Um, when the other kids napped and the baby napped at the same time, I took a nap. Like, yeah. I allowed myself to say, it's okay for me to take a nap and not do the dishes. It's okay for me to put my health first. It's okay for me to prioritize taking a shower. Like it's okay for me to try to take care of me. And all of those pieces I think really did make a huge difference in my recovery. Yeah. Wow. What an important message. Mm -hmm. If you can do that with two toddlers and a newborn. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it, it's important. You can't you can't pour from an empty cup, Julie. I know, as they say. That's right. <laughs> Got to take care of ourselves and encourage our mama friends to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it's that it's that important. Wow, Terry, what a story! <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm tangled in my cord over here. Okay. Um, well, I'm so glad you, what made you reach out now to be on the podcast since you've, you've been around the organization for a little bit? Um, you know, I actually didn't hear about the podcast for a long time, which I don't know how that's possible. Um, and then, um, I saw a posting about people being interested and I have written my story, um, and had it posted on a couple different blogs. Um, but I thought it would be nice to be able to share my story and have other people hear some of the things that I went through that maybe are different or something that they experienced that maybe they felt like they were alone in experiencing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so glad you reached out. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to, to chat with Julie and I and hear all about baby Senate and tell Jay, thanks 
um, I think there were some pieces, you know, for the guys in there too, that was important about knowing your wife or your partner mm-hmm. and, and speaking up, you know, and encouraging them to do some things um, to take care of themselves. So hopefully the dads can hear that and, and, you know, be encouraged by that because this stuff is happens more than I think we think. And it's not just powering through that gets us to the other side, you know? So, um, yeah. Thanks Jay. So that, that, um, the, yeah, the Vegas thing should happen. You guys should go renew your, your vows there. (laughs) Take a trip. You guys deserve it. Yeah. The blind date paid off for, for you guys. Yes. Funny. Praising the Lord for that. Well, thanks, Terry, again, for taking the time to chat. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for another episode of Confessions of a Grieving Mother.